1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm here with TC Zenka again and TC as we are in the midst of tornado warnings for both of us. Uh, we're going to try to keep this like a, a comedian's tight 30-minute set. <laughs> <laughs> so h- how are you before we get into this week's big idea? I'm I'm grounded right now, ready
2: ready to talk some baseball and hope we can get it in here before, you know, We all get washed away.
1: Yeah, and Mother Nature sends us out to sea uh, and returns us to uh, Ted Bud Banks. Uh, Anyway, this (laughs) week's big idea, on a happier note, is those Seattle Mariners. We're going to start with the Mariners up top here, and we're going to focus on them and and not get into the uh, nitty-gritty with this week in baseball. We really just want to focus on the Mariners because they have been so much fun this season. There's a good contingency of pitcherless people we're big fans of the team. They love what they've been doing. This is coming on the heels of extensions for manager Scott Service and GM Jerry DiPoto. Uh, Kevin Goldstein at Fangrafts has called them sneaky good all year. They stand at 71-62, and 62, entering play today on September the 1st. So TC, when you hear the Seattle Mariners this year, what do you think of? Just confusion, really. I mean... Of course, this is the trader
2: Jerry at his finest. He's always moving pieces around. Uh, but <clears throat> the mariners they, they are sneaky good. They've kind of like sneakily become kind of fit themselves into that category of with the Rays and the and the Brewers as being teams that kind of overachieve and you know pick their spots and mix and match. And frankly, I, I can't really figure figure them out. I don't know why. I don't really understand how they're good at all. You know, I've been looking at their their some of their team numbers, right? Because they are still in the hunt. They are decidedly contenders right now. Like we're not, or we are in September. Today is September first, right? So we have a month left of baseball, and they're three and a half out of the wild card. It's within earshot. They can get there for sure. But I don't understand how they're doing it. So let me give you a couple of their team (laughs) their team rankings here. Okay uh by ERA minus they're 20th in the, in the in the game at 104 by fit minus they're 18th at 101 by k percentage they're 23rd uh if you look at their go to offense just for a minute their wrc plus is at tw- is 22nd they're at 92 so eight ticks below average there their isos at 21st k percentage is 28th in a bad way at 25.7 percent as a team I can't find. I'm trying to find the things that they do well. Okay, so on, on the, just on the whole, if we if we zoom out a little bit, by pitching war they're 15th. Okay, we're getting close, right? By defensive war they're 26th. By offensive war they're 23rd. By their base running metric they're 24th. So, what is it about? The, what what do they do well? They're last in BABIP, so they're the most unlucky team, perhaps. Like, how is that supposed to factor in? They're hitting 223, 299, 382 as a club. The only thing I can find that this team does well is they rank fourth in the majors for lowest walk percentages of pitching staff. Their pitching staff has a 7.9% walk rate as a team, and that is good. They do not give away very many free passes, and apparently, that is enough for it seemed to be
1: nine games over 500. <laughs> to, to be 71 and 62, I think the best part of what you were saying there, and you clued in on it there at the end for sure, but what is it that makes them good? Is it almost like a, a serene power? And you know what? You made a really interesting comparison to the Rays, to the Brewers, clubs that we brought up, that everybody has brought up in terms of being just always figuring a way to piece it together. Even recently with the Rays and all the rash of injuries they've had in their bullpen are still making it work, right? That's just what these teams do. And I wonder if it's more fair to regard them uh, as they come up or as they continue to develop players as teams not that overperform, but maybe just put things together in ways that we don't know about, right? Like this is where I really kind of wonder about some of the proprietary inferences teams make uh, based on proprietary models. Good Lord, that word is difficult today. Uh, And like you're saying, you know, Bottom of the league, bottom third, bottom five, across a ton of categories. But yeah, not issuing free passes really helps. And they're kind of in that contingency because of Chris Flexen, international signing from... Right, from Chris Chris Flexen. Good golly. (laughs) Chris Flexen and Logan Gilbert are their two starting pitcher leaders. And Logan Logan Gilbert's only... (laughs) He, you know he's only pitched in eighteen games. He, he came yeah, up. Gimmer looks into good, the year. but his his bottom line metric numbers
2: haven't even been that good. His his like adv- advanced metrics are solid, but yeah, he hasn't exactly you know been awesome in terms of on the field results. He's a five forty four ERA. I mean, he's still been worth one and a half FWAR. He's been good. He just hasn't really seen the results. So again, it's like oh yeah, not seeing the results on the field, except for the fact that they see the results on the field. I the only thing I can find that the Mariners do well as a team
1: is win baseball games. Is Scott Service a genius? I, does, I feel like he must be a genius. Does anything else matter if they're if they're not good at it as long as they're winning games? Like is there is there I mean I guess this is kind of the overarching idea when it comes to a club like the Mariners, a team on the outside looking in, a team not really expected to compete still there might ultimately fall short given how thick the AL race is for some of those wild card spots. You know, does much else matter when it comes to doing anything but winning right now? I mean, this year wasn't
2: supposed to be about winning for the Mariners. That's the thing. So, you know, this is all gravy for them. It feels a little bit like if they were this close, could they have made any better moves at the deadline? They they definitely straddled the line between buyers and sellers at the deadline. Dupoto made some nice moves going both directions. Uh, you know, namely the Kendall Graveman for, uh, you know, Abraham Toro trade that I'm yes. sure we'll get into, but, you know, so he did a nice job moving some pieces around and and keeping them as a, you know, contenderish team. But next year is when they're really supposed to really, in terms of their initial timeline is when they're supposed to be ready to, to spend on free agents and really start contending. So I guess next year still matters more than this year, as, as weird as that is to say, because that's, You know all the all the fun overachieving of this season doesn't mean much if they can't do it again next year. And if they go into the off season, you know, thinking that they're a a team that's ten games better than five hundred, and that's not the true talent level, and they're actually you know locked into some wins or whatever it is, and they're actually their true talent level is closer to their like Pythagorean record, then you could see some trouble in terms of, you know, maybe they won't go out and make those extra additions that they might need in the off season. And maybe they will be a little more, you know, stand pad a little bit more. So I don't know on the whole, yes, the wins matter. The wins are good. It's fun for Seattle. Seattle hasn't been to the playoffs since 2001. They need the wins. They need to get there. They probably won't get there this year. I mean, they are another one of these teams that they've, you know, they're great at 86 wins and being a spot out of the playoffs. The Mariners excel at that. They're the only franchise that hasn't been to a World Series. They've got some tough luck things going on. The best free agent they've signed in recent years was Chris Flexen. So, you know, know, give them the wins, let them take them. Yes, they're important, but I don't think they're actually the most important thing for the franchise right now.
1: I think that's a fair perspective, especially, you know, for a team like the Mariners who have built really something solid, something that's been reported on over the last year or so. The way they've really... Uh, built this development program out, even for somebody like Chris Flexen. Like Flexen went to Korea last year, was really good in the KBO, and ultimately came over this year. Uh, I think it was it's a two-year deal for him yeah. uh, in Seattle. And it wasn't just that he made improvements there and came here. and The Mariners were like, do everything the same. We totally think it'll work and translate totally great to the to the majors again, right? Like they still actually. Like, you know, the way they helped him kind of build off of his cutter that showed up early in the year that he's been able to maintain his his excellent control after something that you know he didn't really have that uh, through the better part of his early Major League career. He's sixth in all of Major League Baseball right now in walk rate at five percent. And that is the third lowest walk rate because there are there's another pitcher at five percent, Zach Grinke, Tyler Anderson, also a Mariner. At four, 4.9%. 4. Then it's Corbin Burns, Nathan Avaldi, and Ryan Yarbrough above him. And that's it. And that's, that's a huge deal for him to be able to do that. Because if you look at the course of his major league career, he didn't walk a ton of guys in the majors. Uh, but he like you, you, it's kind of scattered throughout the, the course of his, uh, his professional career. And what really seemed to do him in is that when he got his chance with the Mets in 2017, over 14 games... Uh, and nine starts. He walked six and a half per nine. Uh, He walked 8.53 per nine over four games with the Mets in 2018. He's dealt with some injuries. He didn't walk a ton through the minors, hasn't translated to the majors, and now it's translating in really like an enormous way altogether. Uh, So you have that. I think that's something you can go into next year. If you can't necessarily count on it, you can at least know that the team sees how to tweak a guy's stuff and build off of it that way. You mentioned uh, Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert's FIP is 3.77, really, really solid, and almost, what, a run and a half off of his actual ERA, which is a huge gap that could be closed next year. And, you know, they've got other guys coming on the way. They do have, you're you're talking about, like, do they make reinforcements this winter or don't they? Do they look at it in terms of uh, do we just let the farm come up Before we even get to the farm, because there are a lot of guys there, and even guys that just came up like that, Abraham Toro and Kendall Graveman trade, which is fascinating. There's a big shortstop market this coming winter, right? Do you think that they could make a push or a splash for one of these guys? One of these big, uh, unrestricted free agents in terms of shortstops?
2: Yeah, they could. I'm not sure if they will. I mean, they definitely need some definitely needs something and i'm not sure you know we still don't know what that market's going to look like you know so so jp crawford has been fine but he's not really a high ceiling guy he is, just has no pop he's just he just doesn't he doesn't have any power he's always fine but there are better shortstops out there and it depends on kind of what level we're talking right can they go get we're talking about carlos correa cory Seeger, javi baez Trevor Story, Marcus Semyon, Marcus Semyon, Semyon's interesting. I don't know if they, if they want to win now. Yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't go out and try to make, you know, sign one of those guys. Why not go after story? It seems like there's going to be, it's going to take a long time for that market to, to develop. They have, they can be patient though. And I don't see why they shouldn't be able to come away with one of those, one of those top names, a Semyon or a Story I don't know where Seager is going to end up. I don't know if he's looking to go back to the Dodgers. It seems like maybe not now that they have Trey Turner and Gavin right. Bucks is still coming up. So yeah, maybe they go get the other Seager. You know, they've had a, a good run with Kyle. Maybe it's time to go bring in the, you know, the, <laughs> who, uh,
1: who former president called uh overpaid, but who's hit like 31 homers this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he his deal is expiring. And you've got Toro, who came up as a third baseman behind Alex Bregman, who's been playing second base and is like passable there because you're going to tolerate his bat. But, I mean, worst-case scenario, like you could move some of these infield pieces around to facilitate a bigger bat on the infield that is an impact type, uh, type of player. And I think that would be really fascinating. Uh, and, and even in regards to Toro, before we even get to their farm, right, Toro is interesting because now he's playing second base again, passable for the Mariners, but he was traded for Graveman uh, at the deadline. Basically, like you know, everybody freaked out. Like the Mariners are so close to the playoff spot. They haven't been there in literal decades. Why are they trading their closer? This guy, you know, they're blowing all these games at the end. Like what, what do they need? Like who this guy hasn't hit in his few chances so far across three different campaigns. Do you remember this, like, even at trade rumors, Like was this a, a thing that came up or that you saw and was like you, you processed in terms of the deal, in terms of it being weird or seeing the sense in it, this Abraham Toro for Kendall Graveman trade that sent uh, Toro to the Mariners and Graveman over to your division rival who you're chasing for the playoffs, Kendall Graveman to the Astros? Yeah, I mean, the optics of it were definitely
2: bizarre, but I think it was made more so just by the public's reaction and by Graveman's reaction, like, he— really liked being a part of this Mariners team. The Mariners club seemed to really take him in. And I think it was hard from a, from a, you know, interpersonal standpoint to lose Graveman. And that's where we got some of the commentary about DePoto kind of not knowing the guys and not being down there in the bunker with them. And it's partially by design so that, you know, DePoto is free to make these kinds of kinds of moves because it has worked out. I mean, Graven was an expiring deal and they flipped him for, Toro, who still has what four years of control? Four years of control. That's that's a good deal. And it's and it's and you know, relievers are fungible assets. DePoto has shown the ability to find these guys, Graveman included. The fact that it was a division rival was kind of curious, but I think ultimately it didn't matter to DePoto because it wasn't that kind of deal. It's not like seeing Graveman on the other side is going to be that much of a PR hit for the, for the club long-term. And, you know, we don't even know if he'll stay there in the long run. It also made, it made the Poto kind of come out and say like, Hey, we got other moves coming. You just wait. And they did. They went yeah. out and got Diego Castillo, which makes sense. He's long. They've longer him for another year. Uh, they have an additional year of control for him. So what he did was he just extended the utility of his bullpen while grabbing a potential everyday bat that's a pretty good day work. And I, th- I think yeah. it just, from the interpersonal standpoint, it's hard to move those pieces around and just, you know, act like they don't mean anything. But even frankly, from the, like, for Graveman, I think it was tough. For the Mariners, it was tough. For the fans, I don't think the fans were that connected to Graveman. To Ken, Like, he was it was a cool story. Very cool story.
1: But... I think it was the the contention aspect that was most upsetting, right? And, like, this team does have good chemistry. That's also been a storyline. And that is true. often, uh, you know, again, we've talked about this before. You've witnessed chemistry those, what, the last five, six years and what that can do for a team in terms of title aspirations, even if they're on the fringes. Uh, But when you have a guy like Paul Sewald, who is fourth in K percentage among relievers in all of baseball, who really came onto the scene over the last six weeks... That makes it easier to deal a guy like Kendall Graveman on an expiring deal, like you're saying, for a potential everyday bat from an organization that has constantly like the best plate discipline in the league, that has such a high level of replacement player. They have to let good guys go in these kinds of deals, like, like kind of a, I don't want to say stroke of genius. This seems maybe uh, too much, but extremely good foresight from DePoto. The kind of move that can see enthusiasm. For him getting an extension along the lines of a season like this one, right? Yeah, I mean
2: it's a great get and it's a smart target because you know that the Astros don't have any room for Toro and that you know they're they just as soon turn that asset into something else, and so you're able to get him maybe you know four years of a position player a little cheaper than you might from, from a different team because they just have nowhere to play Toro. They just they're the Astros are good to go. It's right. kind of a similar thing with the the, the Nats and getting Kiebar Ruiz from the Dodgers. Like you you, you target those guys that are. Extra extraneous players on their own rosters. And then you see if you can maximize their value. And so far, it looks pretty good. I mean, Toro's not gonna be this good, but it certainly helps DePoto's uh you know optics with the
1: public for Toro to go on such an incredible tear. He's he's already the team's fifth most valuable hitter this year, and he's only played um you know 32 games for them. So yeah, he came over, he did have an incredible run, but I love that he, the other night he hit a grand slam off of Kendall Graveman yeah. in the tie game at the end of the game, like storybook type stuff, right? Yeah. Like, uh, And by the way, you might hear, uh, as we deal with power outages in the area, you might hear the dog barking in the background, but the magic uh, that that kind of moment kind of sparks is a ton of fun, a ton of narrative, backed up by a ton of different research in all sorts of different ways. And it is one of those things that I think does make this this kind of an endearing club, even if it looks like they, in some respects, kind of sold at the deadline, even though they really didn't.
2: Yeah, and the clubhouse stuff, it's it's tough. It's tough to figure out how that factors in. The other team that was said to have an incredible clubhouse factor this year was the Mets. They didn't want to get <laughs> anyone to upset their, their clubhouse balance. That's why they got somebody like Baez, who's a great clubhouse guy, to fit in with a group that was really, you know, Mixing and blending well, and you know they've been a disaster since that moment. Not to say that that's a clubhouse problem; it's not. It's an on the field problem. But like clubhouse problems right. don't fix everything. They can help magnify some of the good things when they're happening, but they don't prevent bad things from happening. And right, and so you can't really count on it in that sense. But the Mariners, I think, you know, I think at the time, Depoto looked at this roster and was and thought like, you know, I don't want to have a full on sale here. And I don't necessarily have many pieces to move anyways, to get great pieces back. But I also don't want to go all in move some of these top prospects for this roster right now, because we are overachieving. You can kind of ding them for maybe not getting some other piece, but like they've really put it, put it together. And I think DePoto was right to kind of walk the line where he was, especially with the Astros and yeah. A's ahead of them two noted contenders who've been contending for years. Like
1: they're closer to the playoffs now than they were then. They are. And I think that's a big deal. And ultimately, you know, they, they kind of, as you were talking and, and piecing together some of their story for the season, it made me think of getting 16, getting dealt 16 in blackjack, where it's like just enough where generally you're not going to hit, yeah. right? Yeah. But you're in good shape, but not great shape. And that seems to be kind of a line that the Seattle Mariners are walking in 2021 uh, another fun stat, in some regards, is that they are twentieth in run differential at minus fifty-seven, uh, which spurred Scott's Service to to bring in a Ted Lasso quote of calling at a you know like they they've got they had minus nine on the on the road trip, but they were plus ninety in fun differential, right? <laughs> and that like it's like so much fun, yeah. Right? And, and at this point in the baseball season, this is a point where it can be and feel like kind of a slog and it can feel like we're just waiting for the playoffs to start because most of the spots are wrapped up. And hearing that kind of thing and being able to follow this kind of team makes me want to put them on. And I think that is, again, I'm being effusive in my enjoyment of the way they've played this year, but I think that's a big deal because it is a long season and you need different things to look for and enjoy to get you through it. Otherwise, you're going to be like a miserable Yankee fan for 60% of the year until they... 13 game win streak, right?
2: Yeah, because I mean this seems like a it's like a grit situation. I don't understand. You know, like I know it's not real, but like they see I don't know how they're winning <laughs> these games. It's cause it's not like everything has gone well for the Mariners this year. Like, you know, oh yeah, everything's gone perfectly. Kyle Lewis has established himself as a star. Evan White stepped into his role as a franchise cornerstone. You know, free agent pickup James Paxton. Cy Young Year, right? Young prospect comes up, Jared Kellenick. He steps right in, is ready to go. Like, everything that they kind of planned for the year kind of fell apart pretty quick. No Kyle Lewis, no one. Jared kellenick has been horrible. Paxton didn't throw a pitch. Like, it's not like things worked out perfectly for this team injury-wise. They've had all sorts of things going on. They've had a young group of outfielders moving in and out. Taylor Trammell trying to figure it out, having some moments, but not really putting it together. Jake Fraley playing above his head for a while, then kind of slowing down. But they just keep winning games. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of serious. I think Scott Service, he deserves some serious cred here. I, you know, I'd probably give him manager of the year at this point. He's He's been amazing.
1: Yeah, and again, like we talked about with DePoto getting the extension, maybe not because of the Abraham Toro trade, but because he's made savvy moves like that. Clearly, they know Scott Service is also doing something, right? Like he's adding a lot to that secret sauce in terms of keeping these guys together, keeping them as fans of each other. Uh, and really making the team move forward. You know, you mentioned Kelnick. I think that's a nice way to pivot into the way that they still have a top farm system, that they didn't sell off a major piece for a chance to make a run this year against, you know, a team in in the postseason. The talent tends to win out, by and large, uh, even though it is a wonky year, right? Kelnick is still pretty much a top-shelf option in terms of a prospect. He's not getting dealt, and tons of teams would be interested if he were on the market. Uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, is is another massive talent that could be up next year. Uh, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, uh, Taylor Dollard, Matt Brash. These guys, like all of these guys, could be legitimate starting pitchers. Some of them top of the rotation types. In addition to Logan Gilbert, in addition to the pieces that they've put around the major league club already, so. Do you have impressions of the farm system in general or particular players or concerns about potential pitfalls? Or how do they bake into where you see the mariners long term over the next two, three, five, seven years? I mean, it's hard to actually kind of,
2: you know, marry the the idea of this top farm system with the way the the mariners have put it together right now because they don't really align. It's not like they have their top prospects. Right now, putting it together right now, it's a lot of other teams former top prospects. It's Mitch Haniger and it's JP Crawford and it's uh you know, JP Crawford, Hi France, Hi France, Abraham Toro, all these guys, you know, Kevin Padlow came over from the from the raise, Jake Bowers flopped elsewhere. Like all these guys kind of struggled to establish themselves and and they're doing it now with the manners as kind of as a group. And Chris Flexon certainly was kind of a rebound kind of guy coming over from the KBO. So theoretically, you know, you bring in a couple of like blue chippers and that's huge for this team. I don't know know if the clubhouse stuff really transfers over year to year though, as those guys start to come in, if you know, they really change the dynamic as you start to have more of a, if you have more of a stars and scrubs kind of, you know roster setup, but I think he can only be good as you know Logan Gilbert establishes himself and Jared Kellnick as well. I, I think the you know the good thing with service being able to piece this together is that you don't have to work these guys too hard, right? You don't have to rely on Kellnick if he has a over thirty, you send him down and you give him some more time to yeah. figure it out, and you you make it work with whoever else is there. And I think that's I do think that's a huge benefit to those young guys knowing that there is a support system, there's a support network. And that they have a history of helping guys figure it out.
1: Yeah, I really like the way you're phrasing that in terms of saying nobody is carrying too much weight, that there is a support system there to help them figure it out. There's a clear plan, an intentional, deliberate plan that they want the best out of these guys as players, as people. And that, uh, you know, ultimately, like, they're not the Phillies where if Spencer Howard falls apart, you don't suddenly have to reshape your entire plan on the fly midseason as you're trying to contend because maybe if their Spencer Howard falls apart, they've got three other guys who could step in and be a viable starting pitcher for a staff that has been okay at times. They're middle of the pack staff. Uh, maybe you've got these different guys like the, the you know the, the divisional rivals, the A's, the the mats. Olsen and Chapman, they joke that they're never hot at the same time together, right? So maybe you get a dynamic like that when you have the talent. And it's interesting, I guess, to consider it in, in regard to the clubhouse chemistry, because if they raise the overall talent, maybe the the like magic of this year doesn't translate, but maybe it doesn't need to because the talent's higher and yeah. they're winning more games, yeah. right? And And that's one of those, like, winning cures all ills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know to that point about them having
2: so many kind of interchangeable pieces and the other guys who are able to step up the, the flip side of that coin is that trader Jerry is always on the phone and you never know who the next guy oh, to yeah. go is. And so, you know, he hasn't shown a history of trading uh, young pieces necessarily in the last couple of years, but that hasn't been where they've been at as a team. So I do wonder about, you know, that clubhouse and how they feel about, having that, that, you know, that quick trigger from the, from the front office and how much these guys were able to settle in or how much they, they feel like they have to worry about that kind of thing. I mean, I feel like with the Rays, they've done an amazing job of just kind of baking it into the culture that, you know, that this is what happens. You don't stay long-term. And they, they, they kind of found found a way to figure it out. And if the Mariners end up, the Mariners end up with that same kind of, you know, that resilient culture, then I don't see any reason why they can't contend soon. I mean, the Astros are going to be a force still to deal with. The A's, maybe not. This might be kind of a last-ditch last, last ditch effort for them. They have a huge arbitration class. They might have to lose some guys. They've already had a lot of talent drain. So the Angels are always there as a potential team to pop up, but, you know, when will they? The Rangers are the Rangers still and will be the Rangers for another couple of years. Like... There's some space in this division, I think, for for the Mariners to to become at the very least, you know, the top contender to the Astros. Do you think they're going to be ready next year?
1: Next year, I think we'll see a bit of a dogfight. Uh, I don't know that Carlos Correa is going to be back in an Astros uniform. You have uh, somebody the likes of Jeremy Pena who could be up at some point and have you know very capable glove that'll keep him in the lineup. They are great at teaching hitting and plate discipline. And, uh, you know, their their bullpen, they they will have uh, some motion there. They will have some motion in their rotation, potentially, with Zach Greinke. But ultimately, like, for all the scandal and ire they've drawn this year for that scandal, and rightfully so, to a certain extent, right, they are still incredible at development, right? Like, they do still have the best K percentage through baseball historic year, essentially, in the way they have not attacked at the plate, in the way that they go up there with such a plan. That makes them so hard to get out. I still think they're going to be the the top dog, but I I think the Mariners could be nipping at their heels if the A's do kind of have to blow it up because they're still trying to pull a move to Las Vegas like a bunch of weirdos because they have some crummy ownership. Uh, And like you're saying, the Rangers top farm system a couple years off. And the Angels, like, when will they go for it? And if they do, what faith do we have before we see it of it actually paying off? I think there is like a like a backdoor to competition uh, to competing in this division with the Astros as soon as next year, and then even more and more I think the next couple years after that with these Mariners uh, in regards to the Astros and everybody else in the division. Yeah, I mean, I think the Mariners probably need a
2: little bit of pitching. That's where I worry about them a little bit. I mean, I think Gilbert is rock solid. I think Flexen will be great. Kikuchi's been better, which has been. I mean, he's kind of stepped back into that role as a yeah. as, as a significant yeah. arm for them, which is great. Tyler Anderson's a free agent. Marco Gonzalez is the guy you kind of got to figure out. If they can get him back on track, even where he's just a mid rotation starter, like he doesn't, you know, he is he was their nominal ace for a while. He's not an ace. He doesn't have to be a number one. But if he's a no. if he's a mid rotation guy, then they then they have four pretty good starters, and they can they're going to have to work like everybody else to piece together the rest of it while still bringing along some of these younger guys. And if they can get. The question is can they get one of those other guys to hit is it is it hancock who's able to step up and kind of you know rushes rushes his development emerson hancock or is it george kirby who who comes on the scene suddenly or does justice sheffield or or you know justin dunn finally figure it out like they need one of those guys to kind of like make the leap but if they do they could be in a in a pretty good spot and yeah i don't see why they can't you know with the Toro establishing himself as a piece. I I I believe in Kellenic. I have faith that he's going to be there. You know, they have a move to make. Maybe they go get Correa, and then they really
1: just slug it out with the Astros. Yeah, that that would be an interesting uh, twist of fate for that division. And they really do have a little bit of everything. You're talking about some of the prospects that could step up. Uh, that we're talking about the guys who are going to seemingly entrench themselves further on the roster. Uh, they've got the veterans, they've got the character types that are really, again, endearing to a fan base, to any fan. Uh, that seems, again, like they are mixing it up in a way that's um, easy to be enthusiastic about because more good teams is better for baseball. And they
2: have money to spend. Uh, so they have money to spend. They don't. They do. Their payroll yeah. is under $100 million right now. They have not been spending money. They have $19 million in guaranteed money on the books for next season. $19 million. That is not yep. very many million when it comes to building a baseball team. <laughs> And so they, I mean, they can really go out and they can really go out and get some guys. I mean, they also they don't have a huge arbitration class. It's you know, Seawald and Castillo, you know, Mitch Haniger is his final season, Crawford again, but nobody who's going to really break the bank there. So they're going to have potentially a a huge amount of money to go spend on whoever's out there. So yeah, to your early point, maybe they go get one of those shortstops. Maybe they're aggressive and they decide we have no problem setting the market for this position and they go make a big splash right away. I don't see, that wouldn't shock me in the least.
1: Yeah. And as an East coast guy, I'm so happy to have them on as the West coast game to like put on late at night. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do moving forward, uh, with, with this winter and beyond. And I think they, they have a lot to show a lot of baseball right now. They have a lot to show the league and I hope it happens, uh, in a way that's fun for us to keep talking about. Uh, So, like we told you up front, we were going to uh, keep it to a tight 30. We're just about there. So, TC, where can everybody find you? What will you be up to or have you been up to that everybody can go see? Well,
2: just, you know, staying inside these days. You can find me online in the usual (laughs) spots. I've come picture this Discord. You can find me at Twitter, at TC I'll be writing for Trade Rumors again this Saturday morning. Come find me. Come say hello.
1: Yeah, go say hi to TC there at Trade Rumors at Twitter around Discord. Uh, you can find me at Tim Jackson says. Uh, you can find me on at BP doing uh, freestyles. Just did one uh, this past week on how bad a fastball can be and who's lost the most spin recently. Uh, the depth charts going through which teams are doing what lately. Uh, you can find the pod at. Uh, (laughs) at BreakingPodPL. Uh, Uh, You can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. You can, if you'd be so gracious as to rate us uh, five stars, leave a comment. We love uh, that kind of interaction and seeing you online and all that. So uh, we love you for listening. We love being able to talk with you every week. And we hope you all have the best week ever. We'll see you next time, everyone.